today's uh, live stream edition of Running Into the Fog, everybody. Um, Derek Johnson here with Aurora WDC. My brother Eric's out there too. We're, we're known as the Joe Bros and uh, have a lot of fun with this podcast. Eric, welcome. Hey, Derek. Thanks for starting us off today. You know, we have a really unique guest today, and I want to take a moment to thank my really dear friends, and I know they're dear friends of our guest also. Uh, Ronnie and Evan Weston are in the audience, uh, virtual audience today, and I'm open that one or both of them might come on in the second half of the hour and ask you a question directly. But for our audience, I uh, just want to introduce our guest, Mr. Mark Lay, coming, coming to us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mark, welcome to Running Into the Fog. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I look forward to the questions and uh, talking with you. You know, I, I have to admit, I don't know a lot about you, Mark, but uh, that is an unusual uh, with regards to this podcast. And you know, while we have had some guests like Ronnie, who uh, came onto this podcast several months ago, and her long-form pre-recorded episode was released a, a couple months back, um, we have changed the kind of the nature of this podcast into a live stream format. You know, 30 minutes uh, being talked about as the the unthinkable kind of part of it, and then the unspeakable second half of the hours where we get potentially a little bit more colorful with our debate. Uh, around the topics at hand. And for our audience today, uh, you're in for a treat because you're, you're talking with a, a professional money manager. Uh, Mark Lay uh, you know, is gonna share with us his journey. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I find your, your background so interesting. I, I was in that game once upon a time before I joined my brother in this business a little over 19 years ago. And that's how I met Evan uh, in the first place and Ronnie uh, you know, in connection with that. But, you know, you've got a story, Mark, of, I'm going to refer to it as uh, a total blend of perseverance, ambition, adversity, humility, and ultimately forgiveness that I think uh, then also embodies what my brother and I like to say is any good business leader's ability to mode switch between being a mercenary and being a missionary. And the opportunity to see those characteristics combine into, you know, what you're doing today. And I, I can't wait for our audience to hear that part of your story as well, because you're doing some really great social good out there that, that um, is really, really incredible. I, I just think it's awesome. So I'm going to uh, just mention to the audience, we're technically recording episode 35 here of Running Into the Fog today on March, uh, not March, May the 10th of 2022. Um, with Mr. Mark Way coming, coming to us from Pittsburgh. Mark, why don't you take it away and share kind of how your story got started. Great. I am originally from a small town right outside of Pittsburgh called Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Small, still town. I grew up with uh, what I thought I had everything. I thought we were wealthy beyond belief. My father worked in the steel mills. My mother was a stay-at-home mom, as well as in another life, she was a, a LPN. So I had a great, great childhood, brother, sister, and very, very, in, in this town that I grew up in, sports was everything. Um, that was the tool that my mom used to keep me in line in, in terms of my academic prowess, made sure that um, if I didn't get good grades in school, I couldn't play basketball, I couldn't play football. Uh, my town has such names as Tony Dorsett and Mike Dick and Pistol Pete Maravich and Ty Law, Darrell Revis, Sean Gilbert, all as 
is, is athletes that have come out of Aliquippa and, and done quite well for themselves. Some of them are Hall of Famers. So it was something that we all, you know, spent a lot of time doing, playing sports. But thank God for my mom and, and keeping me on track academically. Because from Aliquippa, I attended a Columbia University in New York. And growing up in Aliquippa, I had no idea what Ivy League was. But, you know, because I was a good basketball player, I took a trip to uh, Columbia. The, the reality is I thought I was going somewhere in South Carolina, North Carolina. And when I saw the big lights of New York City, it was my first time there. I said, this is where I want to go to school. Did, it did not have anything to do with the academics. It did not have anything really to do with the basketball. It was the fact that I fell in love with New York City. Uh, at Columbia, I was a four-year starter in basketball. I was captain of the basketball team my junior and senior year. Great, great experience. Uh, while there, I got a chance to meet a gentleman by the name of Gadale Horowitz, who worked at Solomon Brothers, with the most powerful firm on Wall Street. And I got a chance to visit his office. And his office was bigger than the house that I grew up in. And I was like, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. I want to be one, one day able to, to make money and have an office like, like this gentleman, like Mr. Horowitz. And that's how I started my career in money management or on Wall Street. So I... My background is such that, once again, I come from a small steel town, but I was afforded opportunities because of athletics to attend an Ivy League institution and was able to you know, work hard and do the things I needed to do and, and ended up on Wall Street. That's a great story. And actually, you were at Columbia during a rather famous uh, American president. You know, he was a couple of years ahead of you, as I, as I understand, but President Obama was there at Columbia he, during some of your time? He graduated in 83. Uh, I graduated in 85. Uh, he always aspired to be a basketball player, but uh, wasn't on the level where he could play with us. So <laughs> much more creative academically and politically than I'll ever be. But on basketball court, I think I could still take him. There you go. There you go. That was cool. His, um, Michelle Obama's brother, Craig Robinson, played at Princeton during that time. And, he was by far, in my opinion, the best player in the Ivy League. He's a tall guy, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but he was a very dominant player. You know, Arnie Duncan, who was the Secretary of Education under Obama, was at Harvard during that time. He played basketball. So it, it, it really is a network of individuals that, um, you know, you meet and play against that, you know, that can help you as you go along in your career. I was one of the things that I think is most important, I mean, obviously aptitude and hard work and all those things are great, but to be able to build a network of individuals who you can call upon is something that, you know, that, that, that can last a lifetime. Yeah. Well, I'm going to toss it to my brother here in a minute, but uh, when we were, when we were getting kind of this next round of guests coming up, Ronnie and Evan said to me, you, you've got to get Mark Lay on your podcast because this podcast for everybody that is tuning in for the first time is all about confronting both uncertainty and, and undercertainty in your life, you know, where you may have enough information, but it uh, isn't enough to perhaps sometimes take you out of that position of being paralyzed by, you know, which, which route do I go? And, you know, you mentioned it really well, Mark, the, the opportunity for you to be networked with the Solomon Brothers executive to get you into that game, to help you see your potential beyond being a four-year starter at Columbia and that Solomon Brothers introduction opened up, I'm assuming, quite the network that allow you to move on from Columbia and get, get into that 
into that part of the business, right? Uh, Absolutely. And, and just think about it. I'm a kid from Aliquippa. I mean, I really, the, the, the Ivy League was not my network. I mean, my network was blue collar men and women who I was accustomed to. We, we, we fought during the day and we, you know, we, we hung out at night, you know, but it was, it was, it was a small steel town. And all the areas around us were just small steel towns. But when I was exposed to Columbia, I was able to, to meet you know, men and women who were doing things that I thought was unthinkable. Didn't even know. I mean, to be honest, growing up, I, I didn't know what a stock or a bond was until I got to Columbia. I really didn't know I was poor until I got to Columbia. I thought the fact that I was the first kid on my block with a Schwinn bike made me rich until my first college roommate said, yeah, my dad owns Korean Airlines. And I have a Porsche. I'm like, a Porsche? What's a Porsche? He showed me his car. I was like, wow. You know, I didn't have any idea that I was poor until, you know, I was exposed to New York City and Columbia. So, so mm -hmm. to your point, yes. And I just think that's what life is about, taking advantage of opportunities when you're giving them. You know, as we get into my story, I mean, I've had some high highs. And I've had some low lows in my life. But I still think everything is an opportunity. And it's, you know, up to the individual to try to take advantage of it. Eric, what do you think? So cool. Well, you know, Mark, uh, thank you, Derek, for that wind up. And Mark, um, I really want you to tell our audience a little bit about sort of your why, you know, what makes you tick? I, I, Derek actually introduced you to me uh, a few weeks ago by saying, you know, I got the guy that's helping Magic Johnson with the food desert problem in LA. And I said, we need to get him on the podcast. That sounds awesome. Now that's one sort of piece of evidence about your why but what does that have to do with the rest of the Mark Lay story? And, you know, what is it that drives you, Mark? What gets your feet out of hitting the ground in the morning and, and gets you up to, you know, a trot every day? I, I just believe in the scripture to whom much is given, much is required. I mean, I've been blessed my whole life. Like I said, I was an athlete as a little kid. People put me on the pedestal and said I was going to be a good basketball player, football player, whatever. Always given, you know, opportunities. And I think once when you're in that position in life, you have to give back as well. So I, I just believe that adage, to whom much is given, much is required. So when I get up every day, although I'm a capitalist and I love making money and I, you know, I wanna make you know, my wife and family proud, I also wanna help others. And I think others deserve that opportunity. Once again, once we get a little further into my story, some of the men and women that I've been surrounded by in my life, some of them weren't given opportunities. They made decisions that you know they're not proud of. We've all made decisions, I'm sure, that we're not proud of. But, but that's the beauty of life. We're getting second chances and third chances and fourth chances, whatever the case may be. So I'm, I'm one of those guys who just thinks that if given the opportunity, I gotta make, I gotta take advantage of it. And given, giving someone else an opportunity makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, you know, I have purpose. And, you know, you got that Mamba mentality in your background. I really, I mean, I'm a fighter. I, I just, you know, that's how I grew up. I, and, you know, no is a starting point in my life. You know, no does not mean that, <laughs> that that's where it stops. That's where it begins. When somebody tells me no, then I figure out, okay, how do I get them to understand they're making the biggest mistake of their life by not hiring me or not letting me do whatever it is I want to do. So I, I, I just, I've, I've just, I've always had that type of mentality and that's where I am in life. Well, and I know that you've worked with uh, with a lot of players in the NBA and in other professional sports. Tell us that angle of the story. How'd you how'd you get introduced to that crowd? Is it guys you knew in college ball, and then they went on to the pros, or you know what what was your entree into that world? 
you know, it's really interesting. Playing college ball at Columbia, you would say, okay, you play in the Ivy Leagues, but we still play St. John's and Georgetown and all those teams as well. And during that era, you know, you had the, the Chris Mullins and Mark Jacksons and Pat Ewings of the world all, you know, playing. So we, we, we got a chance to compete at a high level from basketball. In the summers, you know, I played with Ross Strickland and all those guys in New York, and we, we, we established friendships. When I started my professional career, one of my clients that I managed money for was the NBA. So the NBA Players Pension Fund was one of my clients. So uh-huh. once again, we talk about networks. We talk about individuals you come into contact with. You know, and, and I just think, too, one of the things that I really believe in and I tell people all the time, when I meet someone, I want them to either say, I don't want to talk to him again ever because he's a total idiot. Or I want them to say, he's the brightest guy I've ever met in, in my life. I really want to do business with him. I really want him in my life. I really want to know him. Those people in the middle, we forget. So I, so whenever I met people, whenever I'm doing something, I, I really want to leave an impression on them one way or the other. Right. That's cool. Yeah, we've, we've talked in the past as a company about how the opposite of empathy is not antipathy. The opposite of empathy is apathy is that we don't care. We don't have a response. We just sort of, you know, ignore it. And I think what you're talking about, I love that you quoted scripture there, my man. Are you a man of faith? Do you mind me asking? Oh, not at all. I, 100%. My life and everything I have accomplished in life is not because of Mark Lay. And I'm, I'm proud to say that I know the good Lord above has been Amen. the key architect of everything that I've been through in my life. Um, you know, I, I, I profess that and I believe that in my heart. So yes, I am a man of faith. I'm definitely a Christian. Thank you, brother. And you know, me too. And I will say that I'm very, very grateful that God brought you to us uh, today. And uh, I want to remind our audience about something. We, we have the second portion called unspeakable, uh, where we can get a little more real. And part of getting real is letting our audience come on and, and act as your interlocutors uh, um, hopefully sort of three 10 minute sessions or so there, uh, you know, thereabouts. And so I want, uh, we've already got one on deck. Mr. Evan uh, Weston has actually volunteered to be our first contributor uh, in the second half, but we've got two more slots available to come on and actually talk to Mr. Lay. So I want you all to uh, be thinking about that. If you've got something you'd like to talk to him about, Evan, I can vouch for your ability to talk about anything. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get you on here talking with Mark here in the second half. We're going to say goodbye to the social streamers uh, at that point, too, by the way. But um, I, I want to show you all something here called a POAP. Now, we've done this a couple times in the past. I'm just going to throw this on screen for you, and hopefully you can scan it. Now, I understand iOS can tolerate the graininess, but Google Android doesn't like it. So hopefully you can all scan that and redeem the POAP. Uh, and I see Waleed is letting that catch up a little bit as well. So scan that. I'm going to leave it on screen as we bring uh, Mark back on and Derek as well. And, uh, you know, Derek, why don't you take the next uh, question with Mark here? That's just going to add a little levity to the situation. I can't wait until I see my friend Evan claim his first POAP with his first question. It's going to be awesome. Um, <laughs> Mark, you know, in my intro, really short intro, I talked about the word forgiveness and you know, I know just enough about a portion of your story arc to know that you've had to forgive some people along the way in a particular situation involving, you know, uh, when we were leading up to this, you were quite candid with us that you'd come on here and, and talk about that part of your story too. And the, you know, that, that 
opportunity to be in the White House and then also have some of those lowest of lows uh, take you to the literally the big house or different word for you know federal prison. Can you share a little bit about that? And then we'll go deeper in, in the second half sure. about that and how you actually as a, as a man of faith and everything else that you're about, how, how can you practice forgiveness and what might our listeners take away from your story to help them do the same? Yeah. Well, once I graduated from Columbia, I began a career on Wall Street. And because of discipline and working really hard, I was able to initially work on Wall Street, foreign exchange trader, do really, really well. So then I started my own firm. Um, started with zero and, and grew the firm to over $4 billion that I managed money for institutions all over the country and in the, all over the world. As I said, accounts like the NBA and Boeing, Sprint, Raytheon, Shell, major states, Illinois, New York, Florida, major cities, you name a city, New York, Chicago, anything. I mean, I, I manage money for, the, for some of the who's who in, in, in the country. Um, during that period, I was making a ton of money. And, and you, you use words like humility or, or, or on the other side of the equation, sometimes we, we get so full of ourselves and we think, I'm smart. I, you know, I did this or I did that. So the reality is I spent a lot of time on shows like CNBC and CNN and Fox talking about financial markets and you know, based on current policy, what was going to happen and things of that nature. And I always spoke my, gave them my true, earnest, honest opinion of what I thought. Maybe sometimes people liked it. I would get a call from the governor of a state to say, look, Mark, you need to be a little bit more biased. You know, you sound like a Democrat or you sound like a Republican, whatever the case may be, instead of, you know, that's your opinion. But the reality is I was able to, you know, do really, really well in, in, in the money management industry, make a lot of money. Um, but back in the early 2000s, one of my clients was the state of Ohio. State of Ohio had a, had a, um, an event called CoinGate, in which someone did something supposedly illegal, and they went to jail for it for, for 10 years. Well, during that whole period, you know, the state of Ohio became a hotbed for potential fraudulent activity. And that was during the, the uh, 2004 presidential election when Senator Kerry and George Bush Jr. were running for president. And then it was really believed that the state of Ohio was going to determine the next president of the United States. But all these scandals were starting to break out. And in the midst of all those scandals, a scandal broke out with Mark Lay. There's a cover up with Mark Lay, one of the state of Ohio's money managers. He lost $200 million and, and they're covering it up. But the reality was and is, you know, I actually made money. The overlay strategy unequivocally absolutely lost $200 million, but the underlying portfolio made money. So when I was presented with the opportunity to take a plea and just do a small amount of time for something that I know I didn't do, I refused and I went to trial. But when I went to trial, the judge said, when the trial was over, he said, guilty, sentenced to 144 months. Now me, being the genius that I am, I'm, I looked at my attorney and said, there's no way I could do a year. 14 months, I mean, 14 months, four days, this, that's, that's absurd. I've never been in a courtroom, let alone am I going to do time. And he looked at me and said, Mark, he said, 144 months. 
144 divided by 12, that's 12 years. I can't do 12 years. Right. On 12 years with good behavior, you do 10 and a half years. And that's what I did in federal prison, 10 and a half years. And although I will tell you, it's not, you know, anything glamorous about it at all, but it's nothing like TV as well. Uh, the reality is it's a dark place, but it's a place where you can still do good. And I met a ton of men. And I, I always use my own personal percentages. I say 75% of the men who were in there should not have been in there. 25% are straight crash dummies and should be incarcerated. But 75% of them, in my opinion, were, were, were men who were victims of their circumstances, whether it was lack of education, whether it was trying to provide for their families or whatever the case may be. They were not selling drugs or doing whatever they were were convicted of doing just for the sake of doing it. And it taught me a lot about humility because you're talking about a man who was making, you know, seven digits, you know, and, and thought that anyone incarcerated deserves bread and water. Yet and still I'm living in that world and was going to be there for quite some time. And it really, it taught me a sense of humility. It taught me a sense of purpose. And it was, it was an experience as I look back on you know, has contributed to my positive outlook on life. Um, when you use words like forgiven, people always say, you know, do you hate the feds or the, for, for, for putting you in jail for something that you didn't do? And anyone, most people who looked at my case and understood my case said there was forensic items done, no trades were done wrong. You didn't personally gain in any way, shape or form from any of the transactions or anything from it, but you still did all that time, are you bitter? And, and, and it's a cliche and, and, and it's really corny to say, but the reality is inside people say you have two choices. You can be better or better. And I mm. was able to make myself better. And part of being better was giving back. Part of being, being better was being able to forgive. You know, we use Jesus as an example. That was a person who, who died for, for, for something he didn't do. You know, whatever faith you believe in, maybe you believe that or not. But the reality is I believe that. Um, and, and so I, it's, it's just not in me to, to carry grudges. You know, I'm very blessed to have a wife and family and friends who just love and support me in every way. There's absolutely no way I receive on a daily basis. And, and that's how I live my life. Wow, what a testimony. So number one, I hear a whole lot of lessons for the world in that testimony, by the way, Mark. And you know, obviously uh, submission to God's will. I mean, God, God puts you in a place you didn't want necessarily want to be, but you're going to make the most of it. And you're going to approach it with a set of eyes that say, why? Why am I here? Who's, who am I about to be introduced to that uh, has been put in my path and me and theirs? And man, this is, this is going to be no fun being away from my family for 10 and a half years if I'm lucky. But there's nothing I can do about it. I got I to, gotta, you can be bitter, you can be better right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also for me too, it's just, it was just important now at this phase of my life, once again, I came home and, you know, CEOs and people of just great influence embraced me and said, Mark, what can we do to help? 
you know, on your the rest of your path, the rest of your journey. And it made me realize, though, those men that I was with. And I just said, listen, I have to create opportunities. So this whole concept of workforce development, it was my, I said, this is going to be my way of giving back, creating opportunities for other men and women who weren't given these opportunities that I were given to, to, to make a difference in their lives. So that, that, that path has been one that, you know, once again, it's been very encouraging. It's been very rewarding. And it's something that I really relish and cherish. Let's go a little bit deeper before we lose those just on the social side who haven't registered for the second half of our hour, Mark. Uh, you know, what, what cities are you most active in? Are there any uh, people in, in this new kind of, I talked about being a mercenary and a missionary. I heard you talk about how you'd fight in Aliquippa and you probably uh, saw plenty of that while you were doing your, your time in, in the big house and you, you have had exposure to that side. But now you're serving as an incredible missionary in some of these pursuits you're living your life to be better rather right. than bitter and, and kind of going on just for a few minutes. Would you expand on that? Kind of what, what cities are you most active? Where, where are you placing your time and your emphasis right now? Okay. No, to be honest too, I have to say, I can't crack an egg in a food fight. So I, <laughs> I wasn't a big fighter. I tried to defend myself on the streets of Alipupa, but I was better on the basketball court than I was in the rain. And while I was incarcerated, I'm telling you, that's once again how you know the power of God in, in one's life. Never once was I ever threatened or felt like I needed help because I was going to get in a fight. And, and I'm one who always voices his opinion. And while I was in there, I, I would tell I would teach classes and I would tell guys a lot bigger, stronger, tougher than me. Listen, my class started at 12 o'clock. You get there at 12 or 5, you, you, you're, you're, getting, you're getting kicked out. 11.45 was on time for a 12 o'clock class as far as I'm concerned. And they all fell in line and the guys were just, they embraced me. And it, it was from that perspective is I, I, I really understand that, that when you say hedge of protection and all those types of things, because I really wasn't in there fighting or had to fight. If someone looked at me wrong, there was probably someone who would say, why are you looking at him like that? You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Most of my efforts now are concentrated, you know, from here in Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania, where I, where I call home. That's where we initially launched the, the, the projects that I'm working on. You know, we are scaling, they're very scalable. So we will be in cities like Philadelphia and New York and Chicago and Los Angeles. The concepts of workforce development, the concepts of food different, uh, the, uh, food deserts, all the social determinants of health are countrywide. And, and you know, that's the mission that I'm on to really be able to make a difference across the country in the lives of men and women in these distressed communities and let them know that there is hope. There is hope. If I could do it from my background, from the things that I've experienced, absolutely they can do it. They can and, and, and they will. Um, once again, I, I've grown and learned that, you know, can't say the world. But there are a number of people that can be saved and be helped. And, and those individuals are the ones I want to help. So initially, the platform is in Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania. But we are quickly expanding it across the state of Pennsylvania, Delaware, New York. And then we'll be in the, the Midwest and out west very shortly. Wow. So that is clearly your new calling, 
Mark, and you, you let the Joe Bros know how we can help in any way possible. That just sounds super exciting and overlaps with a lot of our missions that, you know, the good Lord's revealed to us here over the last few years during the pandemic. So I'm, I'm super excited to talk about that. We have one minute left and Derek, you're going to get the final, you know, stand here uh, to take us into unspeakable. Unthinkable is about to come to an end. And for those of you who have not yet scanned the QR code, here it is. Uh, you got one minute to scan it and redeem your PO app uh, if you want it. Uh, we're going to be using this over the summer for some kind of cool stuff. You're going to see these applications start to emerge probably in June. So uh, as we start to bring this out, uh, just scan it, redeem it, and claim it, and keep it, uh, keep it in your wallet. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to the uh, social anonymous streamers here in a little bit, uh, or dasvidanya, as they say in, uh, in Russia. Uh, and when we say goodbye to the social streamers, come on over to openrecon.com. You'll find a link over there to uh, register and join the private uh, Zoom bridge here in the second half for Unspeakable.